Hello and welcome to a special Halloween episode of Caught Between a Tie and High Heels. I am your hostess, Jamie, and this is basically normally a, a, a uh, podcast where I talk about my transgender uh, life and, and how I've been hiding for such a long period of time and then my issues that I've got going on. But tonight, tonight is Halloween and it's a very special night. We have an extremely special guest. Um, she has worked very dis- diligent with us and been very patient with us in order to uh, be able to get to this point so we can record. She is a bona fide witch in Scotland. Right now it is midnight there. She just finished the show. So we are just extremely happy to have her. Kara uh, Hamilton, how are you, dear? Oh, I'm completely fine. Enjoying the witching hour. Yes, with indeed. With a blustering storm out with, and the lights are flickering. Oh, it's fabulous. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, we had quite a rainstorm last night, but I was just thoroughly enjoying it. My my wife and I both love it when it rains and lightnings and thunders. It's just wonderful. Oh, it is really lovely when it does all of that. And it's just it's just so atmospheric, so timely. Indeed, indeed. So um, just to give everyone a background, this is our third attempt in trying to record this. Uh, we've tried this twice before. Once we couldn't get the the audio the connection going properly. Second, my computer decided it wanted to eat what we recorded a full hour's worth. So this is our third, and hopefully the uh, third time is going to be the charm. Um, but uh, I wanted to introduce you. Now you are a truly bona fide witch, a professional witch. Yes. Oh, that's completely correct. And probably that needs a bit of qualification because people make assumptions. The first thing I would say is witchcraft, irrespective of what you might think, that's everyone, podcast land, no matter what you think, it's a bit like art. It's all within the eye of the beholder because if someone is, for instance, a very staunch Christian, Anything that is not staunch Christian is liable to be seen as witchcrafts. And if you're, a, for instance, a pagan or someone who is a Wiccan, people associate witchcraft as being something which is a green it's for the environment, for the earth, working with herbs and spells to try and do lots of lovely things. And there's a million different things in between this which refers to what anyone might class as witchcraft in being. With me being a professional witch, it kind of sounds like I've got a a big neon sign saying professional witch coming and I will hex your ex. <laughs> oh, not... I didn't even think that, but yeah, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly what I do, but I go on stage and I, a number of places I've been across in Baltimore in your fine nation, and in fact, I passed through Virginia as well, your home state, Indeed, I was there, and I was performing one of my presentations there. I do it a lot in the UK, and I do it in Europe as well, especially Germany and France, and what I do is I tell people all about historical witchcraft, what people were meant to have done, what people did do what what people thought was happening but wasn't because a lot of witchcraft was simply 
let's use the crime of witchcraft to to get rid of people we don't like. So wow, just, that that sounds eerily it sounds eerily familiar to today's uh um today's society. Oh, absolutely. It's a bit like um I suppose what could be something similar in so many countries in the world that okay, this is the current target that we're going to get because we want to get somebody and back in the 16th and 17th century People got it accused of witchcraft. Now, there were people doing spells and things. There were people trying to do evil stuff. But the vast majority of witchy, of people accused of witchcraft were probably quite um, what someone might call a very, um, a, a very good Christian soul, but they just fell foul of the wrong person. Mm, like, and, but there like, could be a healer. It's very possible that they could be a healer, but yeah, they rub someone the wrong way or have a disagreement, and then next thing you know, they're being accused of witchcraft or being a witch and doing devilish and evil things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I never say to anybody when I do these demonstrations, these talks, these shows, I never actually say what my personal belief is. And that's because as soon as you unleash that, people automatically have a square-shaped hole to press you into. Oh, yeah. And they don't think, they automatically think, okay, you're doing this to try and persuade me of X, Y, or Z, when that's not the case at all. When I finish these presentations, quite often I'll have people from, in fact, there was one I did, that the people who came up at the end there was a very staunch Roman Catholic who said, thank you so much, you've opened my eyes, because I thought these people were all evil and they were getting put to the stake for all their evil deeds. I'm in shock. And the next person came up was a Satanist. And then there was a Sikh couple, uh, a Buddhist, some um, agnostics and what what have you. And there was all these different people that came up. So that's one of the reasons I never say what my actual belief system is mm -hmm. is simply for that reason but one of the other things that's important when speaking about this when i use spellcraft and stage shows i'm using it and it has a particular effect on the audience because one of the things is important with that aspect of that type of show is not just saying look at the bad stuff that happened it's also to show people you could fall in with the crowd eager to see people burn because you thought people were doing things so unnatural. Mm -hmm. So I demonstrate some things that are so eerily unnatural. For instance, having a what is commonly called a voodoo doll, which has nothing to do with voodoo whatsoever. A wax doll or a clay doll. I've got two real ones from way back in centuries with pins or nails in them. And I have someone in the audience who's up on stage and I tap the doll at a part of its body and I say to the person, you felt me touch you, didn't you? And they're saying, yeah. So point to where I touched you. It's exactly where I touched the doll. And then I 
tap the doll a few times, maybe twice, maybe three times. And I ask the person, how many times did I just tap you? And they say the exact same number. I get them to open their eyes and then they see I am far away from where they're standing. The opposite side of the stage, yeah. Yeah. And and I say, I didn't touch you at all. I was touching the doll. And the audience has a link to that person. And with the way they're looking at each other and speaking to each other, they all of a sudden think, oh, bleep. (laughs) Something deeply troubling has just happened. And then they start to realize why someone at that time might think, quick, burn this person because they have unnatural powers. Because when you are confronted with something like that, that you just cannot explain and is so startling, it really puts the chill on you and you begin to realize that mindset. That's a that's a really powerful powerful thing indeed and you like you we've talked about this before is like the wax figures that you have are genuine they they are from i think you said once from the 16th century or the 17th century oh yeah once from the 17th century that's the clay one right which we found on the pollock estate in glasgow in fact not tomorrow night but wednesday night sorry if you're listening to this you are listening to it yes. a few days after <laughs> we've recorded it. So the 28th and 29th, yes. I'm performing in Glasgow at Pollock House where there was this massive witch trial, which was an absolute travesty of justice and all the rest of it. But these dolls were hidden inside the people's houses and lo and behold, they were found oh so quickly how on earth did they know they were there? I wonder. And then they were burned at the stake. But also on the estate, I've been looking about at around old, uh, where I thought old houses were, and I found this old clay one. And I'm so amazed it's still in one piece. Well, more or less, one arm is slightly shorter than the other. But it's that is in one piece. It's just so spectacular. And the other one comes from West Yorkshire, from a village called Cottingley. If, in fact, most people have seen the photographs of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle with the young girls there with these early photographs of these girls with these fairies. And it's quite obvious that these fairies are cardboard cutouts that have been painted. But it caused such an absolute storm and great big spiritualist wave of of fervor quite the uprise and and uproar that they made with these pictures yeah they're still in all the unexplained and mysteries books today you still see these but i knew someone who was working in a terraced house at that time in the village and he was taking up floorboards he looked through the floorboards and saw this wax doll with nails in its chest and picked up the phone and said, Cara, I kind of need you to come over here right now. And luckily, whilst I live in Scotland, at that time, I lived in York. So I said, well, I can be there in about three quarters of an hour. And I was, and I took it out of the, from the, what's called the Solemn. You can tell I had a building background and lifted this out 
And wow, it's still it's in my collection. And this is the one that I use on stage when I tap the doll and the person feels it. And I thought this was really interesting when you mentioned this, that it had three nails in the chest. And most most often, as you said, people are going to look at these dolls and instantly think of it something devilish, especially with nails being in it, that it was inflicting harm onto the the effigy of whatever person that you wanted it to be. And it actually has quite the opposite uh, meaning. Oh, absolutely. Because the well, you could use it for harming someone. Certainly, that, certainly. That, that could happen. But the majority, the vast, vast majority of them, these dolls, for instance, that one had four other holes around the heart. So the three nails that are, that are in it are in the heart. So looking at it, you think, oh, this is trying to kill somebody. But there would have been seven nails there to begin with. The idea would be that the person that the healing was for obviously had heart trouble. Perhaps they were feeling palpitations or pains in their chest. So the healer made this doll out of wax and then put the seven nails in. And every morning or evening, whenever they went to enact this magical cure, would say a prayer. And the prayer would normally, I'll give you a very simplified version. Otherwise, it would go on forever. But the simplified version would be, the Lord was riding his horse one day. The horse, the horse fell and broke its leg. The Lord got off the horse and healed the horse's leg. The horse stood up, the Lord got back on it, and they both rode away. And the Lord is meant to infer God and so on with this. And so they would say this charm and then pull one of the nails out of the chest. The idea being, when the seven nails are in it, this is when the pain is there. This is when the trouble's there. So we'll take one out and we'll release some of that pain so some of it dissipates and goes away. And doing this every day, the idea is every day the pain and the trouble gets less and less until when all the nails are out, it's gone. As there are three nails left in the chest, my only assumption is on day four, this person pegged it. Yep. Unfortunately, so, didn't make it to the uh, to to all four seven. Absolutely, but this is where that comes where that comes from. There's so many different aspects at that time. One of the things which I'm always saying to people in these demonstrations that I do. At the time, the Scottish king was King James VI, who was about to become King James I of England upon the death of Queen Elizabeth I. Mm -hmm. And he had written a book called Demonology. And demonology, well, he'd written this in 1597. And the idea of this book was to teach his people and his law officers, the church, and so on, all about witchcraft, what witches believed, what they tried to accomplish, how to find them, how to trial them, and how to execute them. And a lot of people, when they hear this, think, wow, that king is a really, really evil swine with doing this. 
But the aspect that had come before, the king felt, because there was a court case in Denmark, his wife-to-be was Anne of Denmark, and she was setting sail for Scotland to marry the king, and all of a sudden a great storm appears out of nowhere. Two of the ships get plucked to the bottom of the North Sea. Everyone is drowned, the ship's never to be seen again. The third ship gets just back to harbour in time, and jumping onto the harbour side is Anne of Denmark and her ladies-in-waiting. They just managed to survive and no more. So the king thought, hang on, witchcraft can touch the royal person. This needs to be dealt with. But he also saw how the Danes had virtually a very geared up, very mechanical system of how to deal with people accused of witches. And normally the fate was, well, only going to go one way you are going to end up on the bonfire mm-hmm. so the king realized uh, the king was not the sharpest knife in the drawer <laughs> but what the king realized was if he if he did nothing as soon as this witchcraft hunting fervor crossed the english channel lots of people would be using the crime of witchcraft and the suspicion of witchcraft for a reason for getting rid of people they didn't like yep yep for whatever reason proof or not let's get them so the king had written this manual for all best ways of terming it to find witches so there was some system that could be employed that wouldn't go into just mass panic and let's get everybody. So he wasn't, as I say, the sharpest knife in the drawer. To anyone who read this book, it would be completely insane. And they would be thinking, this this guy has caused so much death, but he may have actually saved a lot more by writing it, which is maybe a controversial thought, but... I, I could see that. I could definitely see that as yeah. as a person who has uh, owns a copy of this uh, book, and uh, I've read some. I have not read all of it, but yeah. I mean, even if you are uh, a practitioner, let's put it this way, and you would now because of this book, you would know what they are looking for. So therefore, you possibly could also alter the way that you do things to where it doesn't appear so cut and dry as it explains uh, in the book. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, a number of things in the book, there's not that much on actual witchcraft. There's a lot on necromancy, the communication with the dead. Yes. has a lot to do with werewolves and vampires in there as well. So the king was going off on one real tangent. But if people think... Well, that book sounds really out there. I mean, you'll find <laughs> lots of versions of it yes. on the internet and PDF. And as long as you can cope with the archaic language, I mean, give it a chapter and you'll get into it. The... You think that book is out there? Then the one that came beforehand was one called the Malleus Maleficarum. And this it is it's, in Germany. Germany, yep. Okay, I was going to oh, ask. Oh, yeah. Yep. A 
about a century and a half earlier by two German monks, Kramer and Sprenger. And when they printed this, it was the signal, we need to get witches. And there is so much within this book. You're actually better getting a hard copy of this book to plow through it because you will see things which will literally turn your hair white. <laughs> I mean, there's one scenario, I won't go over a lot of it, because you could spend a couple of hours just talking about one particular chapter. I'm actually What's... trying to get a copy of this book. Uh, after mm. we talked last time, I, I've, I've looked into trying to get a copy myself. Oh, yeah, you will be engrossed completely with it. But one of the aspects with this book, there is one piece in it, and I'll just mention this as the one piece, <laughs> where a monk was writing about a true story in a German village where the village had a witch. And this witch had a nice um, line of employment. <laughs> Every man in the village, she would spell and enchant the penis off him and she would take it for her own and keep all the male penises in a, in a nest, like a bird's nest, and feed them oats to keep them alive, like a lot of little fledgling birds. You can just imagine the scene. You can see the woodcuts in your mind's eye as I'm I just, describe it. Oh, absolutely. I'm just wondering what sound would they make when they would uh, be hungry for the oats. So that's the other part that just plays in my mind. That is a good question, a very good question. <laughs> but the idea was, if a, if, a, if a man in the village wished to have his wicked way with a lady, he would visit the witch and pay her money to borrow one of these penises so he could have his wicked way with her. Oh my. So it's a little bit like a, a magical body part library system for people <laughs> intent on erotic pleasure i suppose could be the phrase and it's, it I, sounds insane yeah you know? yeah it sounds so so insane and then one day a merchant came to the town he met a young lady and thought oh i want to have a night of passion with you but in his sleep the witch had done her thing he woke up without his bits and decided, oh, I better go and see the, the witch and borrow a penis for the night. So he went along ready to pay her money and he's he's there, he gives her the money and she's there with this nest full of penises and they're obviously all looking up at him like expectant little birds waiting <laughs> to be fed. And he says... He's looking and sees one is distinctly larger than the others. So he says, I'll have that one. And the witch replies to him, I'm afraid you can't. That is on retainer by the village priest. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh and my. This, yeah. And this is there in the statute book. It's actually, yeah, book. it's actually printed, right? So Yeah, and then church um, precedent as a reason to burn people for witchcraft. So if you want to hear and see the most insane things, that is the book to do it. 
and whilst in the UK and England about 500 people were killed for witchcraft normally it would be by hanging in Scotland it was by burning at the stake and depending on whose system and figures you wish to believe it's anything between 1200 and 9000 people were wow. burned at stake in oh Scotland oh my gosh and then you go to Germany and you have entire towns there's one town of 50,000 people every woman except the mayor's wife was burned at the stake really really oh my gosh and there's more there's more of that Trier is one really incredible um, and in the annals of the witch trials it's just so insane but lots of things across Europe had so many uh, more deaths so this is one of the reasons I do what I do to tell people what had happened not just to show the horror of it but I often think with what we see today because we do have actual witch hunts today countries like say Nigeria people mm -hmm. and are are treated and off, awfully with suspicion of witchcraft. There's been children in London who come from parts of the world that have such beliefs and children being tortured to death in bathtubs because of this belief. Oh, gosh. This, this, yeah, this child might have been epileptic. And they're thinking, oh, you're possessed by a demon. Okay, let's do lots of really vile things to you until you die and then you've got countries like Saudi Arabia which if you're found guilty for witchcraft and you can look this up online there's many cases where someone has been found guilty for witchcraft now they may have been trying to do spells whatever but they're taken to a supermarket you can imagine where you are if your local Walmart or your local Safeway and in the car park you're taking your shopping trolley your shopping cart out to your car and the police just pull up take someone out the back have them have them bend over and then their head is chopped off mm. in the middle of the car park and the police just then drive away wow so these things are out there and I feel it's important people realize their own history okay they get a good entertaining night with it as well yeah I, I, if we could i i know that we um dia also wanted to ask a question and again she's not with us to record but the question that she wanted to know was like what exactly is the description of your show and you you gave a really good answer um if you wouldn't mind what describe okay. if you wouldn't mind just describing exactly what your your show is okay it's like you're going along to well imagine for a moment you're watching on television you're watching a supernatural horror movie so that's the way what you think is going to happen right but you come to see my show and you find yourself in the horror movie <laughs> 
because it's happening to you right you're seeing it first person you're not looking at a screen with your feet up and uh and a cup of coffee in your hand you're you're a part of it but it is also like you said not just working with the doll but you have other artifacts that you have with you that are genuine oh and... yeah things like a hand of glory which is the 17th century hand of a convicted murderer who was hanged at the noose and this hand was chopped off whilst it was on the noose housebreakers would get these hands they were in big demand because you set a candle in it and you lit the candle and when that was lit and you said the magic words essentially you said the incantation everyone in the house would remain asleep that was already asleep but if you were awake you would remain awake as long as this candle was lit so you could be in a roadside inn and robbing it and no one would wake up and you could rob it and go on to the next one rob that one and keep going and you would be safe because you had this mummified hand with a candle blazing in the middle of it wow so i've got a number of things like that so i do have my own uh, private museum and i'm aware that my voice is slightly croaky from being on stage this evening so I'm hope hopefully I'm still understandable. You are indeed, yes, you are, and you just honestly, and that's uh, I, I again I can't thank you enough because you this is a very busy time uh, a time of the year for you. You literally have just come from doing a show, um, in order and then come home and and you're instantly talking with us. So you're you're fine. You're completely understandable. And oh, that's super. Absolutely. That's super. Um, I would say too. Not only are you showing these artifacts, though, but you are uh being able to tell the history, and to be able to give an informative uh like you've been talking about. It's 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 very important in order to be able to share that that history and the knowledge of that along with the stuff that you're catching the audience up into all at the same time so it's very interactive and i, I love oh, absolutely you you had mentioned one time before where um when i first asked you about your shows you you gave me the explanation that i love so much was imagine if you were going into a very dusty boring lecture and you end up in the middle of a horror show <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, yeah. is, that has stuck yeah. with me to no end with that. So, well, that's the that's the aspect that people come along and they think they're going to see a talk, which and you are. Down, but yeah, you're getting the talk, <laughs> but you're getting all this other stuff that just heightens as the hour and a half goes by, and it heightens, it grows becomes more and more uncanny and your thought process of this is real all of this stuff i'm now seeing is real this is insane this is wow this is blowing my mind and and the part that i love so much is, is that you're you're actually at least in england i don't know what your shows are here in the united states but at least in england you're going to these different uh, counties or these different um, regions of England and Scotland, and you're actually telling the story. You're very customizing to telling the 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 history of uh, any kind of 
uh, magical happenings in this area and basically using that as part of your, your talk. Am I, oh, yeah. am I right there? Oh yeah. You've got to use the local history. Indeed. The local you... history is important. And there's so much all over England and the UK. Oh, absolutely. Because the aspect is people want to know their own history. Indeed. They want to know their own locality. And the way it's structured is I give the overview of the time and have some of this stuff that's showing as being really spooky, this actual witchcraft happening around them. And then you tell them their own area's story and it takes it to a new level. For instance, what I'm doing tomorrow night, one of the, someone was lifted off the street under accusation of witchcraft and she was brought to the court at the high court and was told this is Dumbarton in Scotland and she was told okay we need to know who other witches are and she said well I'm not a witch myself but I do have an uncanny power this is true I am able by just looking at someone be able to tell that they are a witch so the court officer said okay we'll take you out onto the street and if you point to five witches we'll set you free wow so you can just wow. imagine yeah you're in the middle of your town center it's a saturday afternoon you're going between shops you're going for a coffee you're deciding to go into um, a nice fashion store you're perhaps going to uh, get a donut or a patisserie somewhere and all of a sudden the police are there holding a woman in handcuffs and she points at you and that's enough for you to be burned at the stake instantly yeah you're, you're yeah. just in, no 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 trial or anything you're just instantly guilty because this woman says that she has this power to be able to see a witch Oh, absolutely. But they would do tests just to prove you were. Normally, they would be looking for the witch's mark, oh, which, which is where what they felt was when you were initiated by the devil on a moonlit night, the devil would bite you on part of your body, and that part of your body would neither bleed or feel pain. So they would have a big needle in a handle. Imagine... If someone, if people know what a sailmaker's or a cobbler's or shoemaker's all is like, it's like a little stubby wooden screwdriver mm -hmm. with, a, with a small metal shaft sticking out, which is pointed. And the idea would be this would be shoved into where they felt your witch mark was. And if you didn't feel pain, you didn't bleed, then that was proof positive you were a witch. And lots of people were tried on that behalf. And when you hear the description of what this tool is like, you think to yourself, hang on a minute, that would be really painful. Yes. And it would be really painful had it not been for the small spring set inside the handle, which means that the point just retracts into the handle. So you are not touched by it whatsoever oh my goodness one witch pricker was found to be doing this called Cuthbert Nicholson and 
when the magistrates near Edinburgh had seen this point coming out very, very slowly from the handle because the spring had broken. He'd used it that often. They realized they were being duped. They realized this man was earning 20 shillings for every witch he found. Oh, my gosh. And 20 shillings at that time. These days, you are t- you're probably talking $140, so £100. Wow. For doing this. So they put him on trial. They found all the details they could of the witches he had found guilty. And they found a total of 220. Oh my gosh. People who have been burned at the stake. Because of his stage prop. Yeah, because of his fake little prop, his little trick prop. Oh my goodness. Um, He went on trial, he was found guilty, and he was beheaded for his crimes. Personally speaking, I would have loved to have had, had him dealt with much harsher than that for what he'd done. Because I feel it's absolutely vicious and vile. But the first thing they would do before they used this on you, because there's liable to be people in court who are your family or your friends. So we need to distance you from them and them from you. So they would first of all take a pair of scissors. Now think garden hedge shears when I say scissors, mm-hmm. and they would cut the hair off your head to look on your scalp, because the devil is tricksy after all. Let's look on your scalp to see if the witch mark is there. And of course they're not going to stab this device into your skull, because they've done that, and then they've stripped you naked in front of everyone. So they've done two things here. First of all, by cutting your hair, they have dehumanized you. You now look like a victim. Mm-hmm. You look like someone who is who is going to that pyre. No matter what, you're guilty before anyone's found anything. So this is what that was all about. And the fact they've stripped you naked. Naked, oh dear, is not even just showing a piece of ankle. It's you are, you are completely naked. Oh, this is terrible. How could you possibly let them do this to you? Well, it's not up to you they have done it forcibly mm-hmm. so your family wants to recede away from you so the witch pricker can then use their fake device find you guilty and have you burned at the stake without you getting any repercussions of someone trying to kill you for what you've done to their wife their sister their cousin because they're obviously guilty because of state absolutely oh yeah and i mean this isn't i mean it's not the this is on much grander scale of course because of so much history that goes on in the uk and in europe i mean but we even had our own at some point in salem oh yeah you've had quite a few in north america yes one of the there is a interesting case of what i'm talking about tomorrow night at pollock house there was one there was a young lady, um, Janet Douglas, who was the instigator for these these witch hunts at Pollock and the burnings that came from it. She married a, a churchman um, from the Church of Scotland. The Church of Scotland at the time 
Um, in fact, it's probably still round about the same. But the Church of Scotland was always known as the church that banned sex standing up just in case it led to dancing. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. That's a I'd... phrase that's genuinely used here. I've never used I've never heard that before. Yeah, because they're so doom-laden. Uh, they're trying to be really hip and with it now, but they're a very doom-laden and thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Oh, in boy. Fact, thou shalt not even breathe is kind of the way they were. So Janet Douglas married a Church of Scotland minister. She went to live in Edinburgh as the minister's wife. And, oh, all her dreams had come true because she was now a pillar of the community. But she started seeing more witches. In fact, just about everyone she met was a witch. Oh, boy. And in the court, they realized this is just completely stupid. We need to stop you doing this because this is serious. So they found her guilty and they exported her to North America. And so she would have been sent at that time either to around Salem or to the Virginia coast. Oh my. Not been able to find where. But the name Janet Douglas does not appear in any ship manifest because I've been trying to tra track her down. But the fact she doesn't appear there is probably because of who she had been. People would have known about this. So most likely she changed her name. Mm -hmm. And considering when she ended up in the New World, it was about a year before the Salem witch trials began. Oh my goodness. So was she involved? This is the question. Wow. And it's a very pregnant, palpable question. So I, I have another question for you as far as all this is concerned. With When did you know in your life that this was something that you wanted to do? Then you knew that you had these, you had this knowledge, you had the interest, and you wanted to delve into this even more in order to become a professional witch? Well, I'd always want... I'd always been interested in witchcraft. Everyone likes to, well, you know, you, you probably know yourself. Everyone listening will be aware of this, that you are aware of what your parents do. Your parents go to church. Your parents want to send you to Sunday school or such like. And the first thing you want to do is rebel. <laughs> so you yes. want to do the entire opposite. Okay, you want to teach me about Noah and the Ark and about and about Jesus and all the and the loaves and fishes. All right, I want to find out about witchcraft, sp making spells, all about hands of glory and about raising the wind on a uh, on a stormy night. So you automatically go to that kind of thing, and you look at perhaps organisations that's out there. And when I say that, some people perhaps are interested in more of the blacker side. And when I often when I speak, I've got to really quantify it and describe it well, because when you use the phrase satan uh, satanic panic and there's someone from the U.S. in the audience, they automatically switch to 1980s USA 
when you have things like the what happened after with the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey, yes, with the yes. Church of Sect and, and all of this and all of the um, abuse scandals, which witchcraft has nothing to do with whatsoever. But people assume and they automatically add that baggage. So you have to be careful with what you say because that was one of the things that I came across when I started looking into it. But I really enjoyed looking into it. And I also enjoy and enjoyed then looking into the really dark stuff, not the satanic panic US 1980s um, type um, viewpoint. What I'm meaning is more European, what I would call diabolist mm -hmm. instead of Satan. The word Satan is very loaded with modern contemporary context. But diabolist, you're talking about the affair of the poisons in the French court. You're talking about people in caves near Edinburgh and, and London, the Hellfire Club and all of this. I was so interested in that as well. And a lot of people will sometimes think, because you're interested in this, you must be really dark yourself. But nothing could really be further from the truth because you can be in darkness but not be of the dark yourself mm -hmm. in which in, which is the same way as a criminologist is interested in the bad things that people do but they're not a bad person themselves well, I wouldn't say uh, leading into that. And I, yes, I agree with you. And being one of those individuals, because sure, I mean, I've, I've read a lot of books, but I'm not a, a practitioner of such things. But I read books because it is something that does interest me. Um, but also another aspect of this is that you are a trans woman. And oh, yeah. this is... Uh, another aspect of you that like really started our friendship. We started chatting on, we met on Facebook and um, I'd like to think that we became friends uh, after we did and we are. And thank you. Uh, and uh, you honor me with that, but um, being able to chat and you were able to help me a lot with uh, time with my mom and, and that type of stuff when I was taking care of her when she was still with us. And, and I thank you greatly for, for checking in on me on that. And thank you. But Honestly, it was through being a, a trans woman that we were able to connect and it was actually discovered that you were a witch later on. Um, and I would really love to talk about that part if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay. So can you tell your, I know you have, we've, we've already spoke a couple of times about this, but like you're, um, you're coming out, like you knew as a wee one, uh, just like probably a great number of us that are listening, um, you knew at a very early age that something was different. But then oh, yeah. when did you start actually uh, trying to transition and maybe come out or how was that for you? And if you could explain it, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, I knew I was, I knew things just weren't right. I, I grew up in a scenario where I kind of knew to say, but mum, dad, I'm a girl. That would have been met by um, being hit, basically. It would not have been a good thing to, to say. I knew that. Sure. 
so it's, you kind of you are stealth undercover call it what you will you don't understand it because the internet was not about then so you you're trying to control this in your own mind do what you can when you can and being troubled by all of this and you realize when you're watching wonder woman with linda carter oh yes and people are later on people who are older say oh do you not like them linda carter eh and (laughs) moving their eyebrows up and down because they're lusting after her but i'm nudge nudge wink wink say no more but i want to be her exactly yeah i want to be her she's awesome I love the outfit. I wanted to wear the hose and then in the boots and the the bodysuit, the whole nine yards. She was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you realize, oh dear. And then late, the older you get, the more you realize, it begins to get a little bit more difficult until eventually you crack. And my time for cracking was I was working for a particular company. I'm not going to mention it on on air. Here, oh, certainly, certainly, don't. Um, yeah, because the scenario was not documented with anything I can provide, just in case um, they understand. are listening. Understand, because the the story is not one they would like to be repeated. But essentially, I realized I've got to transition, or I'm not going to be around. I I realized that I hadn't. I wasn't self-harming or anything like that, but I realized what would be ahead in the future if I did not address this. So I said to my employer and started to, went to work and my female self, and I was invited to a meeting at a local hotel. So my managing director was there along with two other people one was a lawyer and one was a publicist and they'd said we've arranged for one of the uk's main daily newspapers to have you as their centerfold for you to tell your story and for where you work and how wonderful we are as employers to you (laughs) wow and that I literally shrank with that because there's so many parts of uh, my family which, let's say, the upbringing was a very hard one. Yes, yes. Um, And I did not want, I wanted to basically move away from them gracefully and distance myself so they would not realize and no repercussions would happen. So I kind of went back into my shell at that point. Yeah, I would think that that would be like any any trans woman or any trans man, for that matter, uh, that would be transitioning and just first coming out. That would be like a horror story is like, no, 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 no. I don't want to publicize this. I just want to blend in to the background. I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that kind of attention. (laughs) Well, completely. Uh, The people I dealt with, with what we have as our uh, gender clinic, I spoke to one of the psychologist there because you've got to get every month you've got this appointment with the psychologist indeed yep and just to talk about whatever and i mentioned it to him and his face paled he said 
absolutely disgusted and shocked this had been brought up. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it. And I basically went back into my shell again from that because I didn't see a way out. I was basically told, if I don't do this, my employment will be not happening. Wow. So I thought, right, so I'm going to have to... And this was how many years ago? Oh, you're talking about about 10 years ago. Okay, okay. And then five years ago, I realized I've got to do this. So I'd left that employment, started doing what I'm doing now professionally that was spoken about. And then I started transitioning again. And this time, unlike last time, I've got support. I've got people that are behind me. Um, I've got friends that are, are there. Not a lot. Lots of people say, oh, they've got loads of friends. You don't really. You've only got a handful if it's, yeah, if it's that, many. you got reality. a lot of people you know, but the ones that are in the real, your your circle, your tight circle, that's a chosen few that you have. I, I completely understand that. Yeah. So I was, um, so I came out again and I started doing my shows as me and the world has been an entirely beautiful place. And I would say if you've got people there around you who are there to support you, the first year is scary because you feel people are, if you hear people laughing, you think they're laughing at you with Mm -hmm. how you look and you feel someone's going to be aggressive towards you. You automatically put all of these things around you, all these negatives, and you just have to get through it. But once you're through it, you're strong. You're stronger than you've possibly ever been. And the world is a good place. And if someone is wanting to transition, they're desperate to, but they feel, but I can't, I can't just because what people will say, what people will think. You have to go through that first year and then things are good. Yeah, I feel the same Thanks. way. I'm, I'm starting, I mean, I've only been, and I'm only out part-time uh, as myself. Right now I'm working full-time as me, uh, which is wonderful. It was my kind of, I don't know, um, the the world's way or, or fate's way of saying this is something you've got to do you know, poop or get off the pot, basically. And it thrust me into this situation that I really wanted. And it made it possible in order for me to to do what I'm doing. So just in this little bit that I'm doing, the confidence that I've had just over the building up of confidence that I've had just in two months, uh, or a little over two months, maybe two and a half months, has just been amazing. I have really been surprised. And yes, I've gotten mistered. I've gotten surred. People have clocked me, uh, you know, and, and I've had that. But because I know I have, uh, and I always call my strength army, I have an army behind me of people who are supportive, loving, uh, caring, and are, you know, happy to be my friend. Uh, and you know, that's really those people that give that support. Um, they're your strength army and they really outnumber this individual that is out there giving you a hard time or deciding that they're going to be a rude person. Um, 
and and you start i don't know for me i just start feeling like yeah it bothers you but you know i i for me i just talked about this uh earlier um in a podcast um where i just feel like i'm i'm owning it and like yeah i'm transgender so have a nice day you know and 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 just kind of going with that and it seems to be so far uh, I haven't had any major, I mean, of course, I'm not saying that to them, but it's like if they give me sirs or misters or something along those lines, like, yep, here you go. Here's my money. Please give me my food. If you're in a drive-in line, I got to go, you know, and just basically get it done and get it over with. But yeah, I, I've really been surprised. I can, I can't wait for a year to go by in order to be able to feel what you're talking about, because I, I, I really honestly now, even just two months into doing this part time, because I come home and I'm basically in guy mode uh, over the weekend, um, I I really am amazed uh, at the feeling. I wish that I had done this a lot, lot sooner in life. I really do. I, I that is a huge regret that I didn't get over the fear and just make the jump a lot sooner. So it, it is possible and it, it is um, you find that group of friends and you find that group of support for you, your strength army, and that helps you to get through that tough time. Like you said, you, you've got that support system. You, you have friends, people that care about you and, and are there no matter what. Oh yeah. And there's ways you can gain extra strength from it because one of the things that I did um, during the first year in order to cope with the stress that you're going through, you tend to adopt negative um, behavior patterns. Yes. Some trans people may drink a lot or take drugs to try and self-medicate through it. And some people will eat huge amounts and which obviously has the effect of you put weight on mm -hmm. and you put so much weight on, you feel rubbish about yourself. So what I was doing, because I started doing these behaviors, uh, for me, it was um, food for a good degree. So what I did was, okay, I'm going to go do a martial art. And I started Thai boxing to the state now that I am doing three or four hours of Thai boxing a week. Wow. And... The weight just dropped off. My my figure is really good. I think you look amazing. Uh, honestly, I would. I wish I had your figure. <laughs> that's been through the Thai boxing because I've been doing that, and it's made me look at myself. But instead of that baggy thing, I'm going to wear something that's tight and fitted. You and go, girl. That looks good on me. <laughs> So you feel good about yourself. And the other aspect, because it's a martial art you're doing, you're not getting ready for jumping in and Bruce Lee style defending yourself against the lo local neighborhood transphobe. What you're doing when you're doing the martial art, it creates a confidence within you that you know how to do this, that you can defend yourself. And the reason that's powerful when you meet people who are perhaps transphobic, first of all, you realize these people don't matter. 
I'm, yep. I'm over you. In fact, I don't even care about you. Yep. Who are you again? Are you still here? You've got that <laughs> attitude where they're concerned. Yep. And because of that, and because you've got the confidence, you have a way of positioning your body. You have a way of standing, of walking, of looking at somebody, which you know yourself, you can, if someone walks into a store or stay somewhere where you work, you know instantly looking at them from a distance, oh no, this person's going to be trouble. And they've not done anything. Right, but right. You can just tell these by these little minute tells of body language that we are trained to understand. So we see this with someone like that. And when you're confident and you're confident in the way that you're thinking, I don't care what you think. That person sees this, they understand it, and they are going to react to it. Normally, in a way of thinking, I'm not going to mess with you because you're not intimidated by me. Right, right. And that's- You don't look like you could be a victim, an easy victim. Basically. So that's one of the things that I always say and have said to people in different trans forums, learn a martial art because it does you so much good in so many different ways it's fab plus it's fab too i'm thoroughly enjoying it yeah oh yeah i um and it's really something that you you bring this up because i took a keto all throughout my teens and in my early 20s um and uh yeah i really miss it and i've wanted really hard uh, for a long time to really get back into it because I do miss the benefits. My flexibility is so shot now. I mean, now being a 51-year-old, um, <laughs> yeah, I would really like to have the flexibility. I'd like to have the peace of mind that I had before as well. I mean, I would, um, I would do a lot of meditation. I was, uh, I, I was sound. I mean, I felt like I was, I was very confident wherever I went. And you're right. You know, you have that confidence. I'm not going around. I'm, I'm, I'm not being Steven Seagal and, you know, going and throwing people all over. But it does give you a sense of ease is that if something were to happen, if someone tried to be physical with you, that you are armed with something that you can protect yourself. And there is a bit of confidence about that as well. It's like not everybody has done uh, uh, uh martial arts like this i mean you know which what you're doing and you know thai boxing krav maga i mean these are brutal martial arts and i mean just doing that in itself just being a practitioner you're you are you're gonna get in good shape i mean it without trying to hurt anybody you know yeah there's there's something else i was going to mention along with this that ties both the transgender aspect and the witchcraft aspect witchcraft as in saying spirituality faith yes tying that together because it's something i feel is important to mention lots of people around the world come from a christian background and whilst some congregations some churches are very supportive not many in my experience in my knowledge but me too are. yeah me too and but lots of them are anything but. They are, especially ones that are, and ones I know that have, are Roman Catholic, they are completely anti-transgender. 
and they do not want you in their congregations. They are excluding people from being anywhere. And it would be really good if there was a dialogue between people of some religions get it and they understand it. Yes. One that's done that is the is, is Judaism, because especially um, in North America, actually, in the UK as well, because you've got the liberal synagogue here, which is very trans-accepting. Note, I say accepting, not tolerant. Tolerance is for nuts and lactose. And <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's true. It is. You you're right. You're right. You tolerate something, says, I don't like it, but I'm not going to react to it. Right. And that's pretty negative. It is you don't absolutely tolerate human beings. Human beings are special. We don't tolerate somebody. We we want to extend a hand. We want to love. We want to to accept. So what a, a lot of the uh, different types of different uh, synagogues and streams of Judaism they're very trans accepting. Um, you will normally find a number of trans people in a congregation if you go to these. You go to the synagogue in USA, where you are. There are two uh, trans uh, trans people who are rabbis that I've got huge, huge respect for, and they are very, very good speakers on the whole trans issue within a faith context. One called Joy Leiden, who is a professor of Judaism. And she transitioned late in life, kind of like us. Mm -hmm. And such a wonderful turn of phrase, very intelligent, very down to earth. And she is, she's, I've listened to many podcasts that she's been on. And wow, what a person. And another one is um, Abby Havastein, who was a Hasidic rabbi in Williamsburg, New York. So, I mean, Hasidic, she couldn't speak English until she was 21. Wow. When she left, left that, because she could only speak Yiddish and ancient Hebrew, that's all she was able to speak. because That's all she knew. And when she came out and moved out, she's been doing huge amounts for um, young people and trying to change the dialogue especially with that community she came from. Now, part of the reason I mention these two people in particular is not to try and make people uh, go to a synagogue, but it's to make people realize there are faith leaders out there. There are faith commentators who are very supportive and they get it. Mm -hmm. They do not see you as someone else well, we'll have you here, but you're not one of us. Not really. That they're saying, you are one of us. In fact, we do not see a difference. And that's something that I feel is wonderful, that that dialogue has happened. And it seems to have happened so seamlessly, so beautifully. Come on, rest of the world. Get with the program. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I could talk for you for such a long time, but it, it is uh, I think well past one o'clock, one a.m. where well, you are. Past, 
But you had said to me beforehand you wanted to have a um, me to draw some tarot cards for you. Oh, can we do that? I was, I was, yeah. I basically was giving up on that because I know it's so late there. But okay, yes, please, please, please. I would love to. Oh, no. I'm... I've just drawn three cards for you. Okay. From the Major Arcana of the Freiburg Tarot de Marseille at random. Spot who's the tarot snob when I tell you it's from the Freiburg Tarot de Marseille. But. <laughs> The three cards I have drawn are the Hermit, Le Maison Dieu, the, which is the tower, and Le Monde, the world. The one in the middle is the one I'm going to read first of all, the tower. Most people will look at the tower and think, oh crap, this is bad. Tower is bad, it's bricks and mortar falling, you're falling out the tower. But there is another aspect to it, and this is the one in which I see in fact, it's the one I see mostly when I draw the tower. The flames in the Tarot de Marseille from the tower is not a lightning strike hitting the tower. It's actually coming out of the tower. It's spirit. It's imagination. It's hopes, dreams, ambitions. It's an incredible thunderbolt of idea and possibility that's just striking out. And it's such a great thing it makes it's the sort of thing that you shout yeah into the night because something so wonderful has happened so this is a really good thought process it's ideas that are now coming to fruition because the decision has been taken because ideas are only ideas if they remain in your head write it down it's a plan take one step no matter how small it is and maybe you're going to create a a space station on Mars for 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 as as the plan. So first of all, getting a book about space travel would be the first step, and that's something completely arbitrary, completely out there, but <laughs> it's still true. Sure, absolutely. The first step you can make these things happen. Yes. So going to the one just beforehand, and this is the one before now, which has led to this moment for you of these plans coming to the fore it is the hermit the hermit has the lamp and the hermit sees by the lamp and because of that the hermit misses what's on the periphery that's dark that's dangerous but the hermit sees only what is within the hermit's lamp vision which limits what you see and that limiting of what's been seen is no longer there Either the spotlight's been put on everywhere or the lamp has been extinguished to enjoy that darkness that we spoke about. And then to the other side, Le Monde, the world. The lady inside the world, it's an oval shape. A lot of people think, well, it's like Roman laurel leaves for the head. It's not. It's an oval shape. It's part of the human anatomy part of the anatomy where one appears at birth what sometimes is called the arch not made of stone and so this woman has come out of this arch this woman is now born into the world she is born fully formed she has in one hand she has a pen in the other hand she has a scroll the scroll says i have done my time 
I've done my apprenticeship. I have earned this. And the pen is there to say, I am now able to sign my life to whatever I want because I have the right to do it because I have earned it. I have learned it. And I'm going to have some fun with it. Does what I've said make sense to you? Yes. Yeah. I'm sitting here smiling as you're you're going through all this. But yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. There, there's there been a number of, of big ideas that I have had. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and also another aspects of my life that I feel that, yes, I have earned it. Uh, I mean, I've shared one about being able to be more me. Um, that's something that I I feel that I have put in enough time hiding. So yeah, this is I'm due. I'm I'm done being the uh, so much in my life of uh, being transgender. I wasn't really living. I was honestly just sitting around passing the time. And because I was so afraid to be active with other people, be to befriend other people because I was afraid once they found out who I really was, um, then there would be a lot of hurt. There would be uh, anger and, and bad things. So I really very rarely made true friends. Yes, I had people that I talked to, but they didn't really know me. And uh, I'm tired of doing that. Uh, I'm sorry that it took 50 years in order for me to figure out that part, but I'm, I literally after turning 51, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of being in the shadows. I want to start being adventurous. Uh, I want to start being me. I want to start being the person that I have always known that I have wanted to be. So yeah, that fits perfect. And I don't think that you and I have actually shared that, um, no. in our, in our chats that we've had. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It definitely means something to me. Thank you. Oh, super. Well, next year when I'm back across in the United States, I'll be uh, probably traveling in and out of Dulles. So okay. I'll need to make sure that I pop by. Yes. So make sure you've got the coffee on. Oh, indeed. Coffee, tea, whatever you need. Uh, yes, it would be a delight to have you. And even if I've got to come to you, that would be awesome. Now, I will say, uh, in closing, um, you do have shows coming up. Uh, that are after Halloween. This will air on, I know we're recording before Halloween, but this will air on Halloween. Do you have shows that are in the UK? Because I do have listeners in both Scotland and the UK. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you what like I to? Would, what I would suggest is, is to have a look on my website, which is carahamilton.co.uk. I've got a number of things there. There's loads of things to explore on the website. But if you go to the coming soon and what's on, you will see all the shows there. And if I've got ticket links, I put them on there as well so that people, if they wish to get to see a show, they can do it. Um, most shows are selling out or have sold out, but we're adding more regularly so that uh, people can come and see because there's been such a enthusiastic wish for people to see my productions this year and i feel they are um, partly wanting to come out because they they like the idea of what i do yes. but secondly with the recent 
trouble that we have had with COVID, people now want to get out. They want to do things. They want to live again. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I I can't wait to for you to come over to the United States in order for me to be able to uh, see a show. Absolutely. Oh, super! Because I'll be doing I'll be doing them in New York and Baltimore, and uh, and in Maine as well. Very nice. And well, I, and I will have this... I will have a link to your website in the description of the the episode. So and oh, so I will uh, make sure that it's there in order for everyone to be able to. So if you go to the description, most of the time in Spotify, I will say if you're listening in Spotify, most of the links in the description will work. Unfortunately, a lot of the other directories, some work, some links don't. So, But I know for sure Spotify, and they're not paying me a dime to say this. I'm just saying I've gone and looked and seen what works and what doesn't. But Spotify, I know for sure, does uh, does work. Oh, that's super. As this is going out on Sawin, Halloween. Yes. Um, I'll mention one thing in closing. Okay. What I'll be doing tonight, as you're listening, on, if you're listening on Halloween, is the ancient Scottish way of celebrating the ancestors. This is done by on your table, have a candle for light a glass of whiskey for refreshment and some biscuits or bread or oat cakes, something like that. A shortbread is what I normally use for sustenance. And you put some photographs and frames, that kind of thing beside it. And you invite those who have gone to join you at that time. You light the candle and you spend a bit of time and speak to them as if they're there. And when you're, you can get up anytime, go away. Just remember to douse the candle at some point. Yes. Yeah. But, you don't want to leave that going all night. Yeah. But it's amazing when you do it, just how the candle will play with the flame. Yes. And how much whiskey is actually gone from the glass because someone has visited but that's how we do it here and if you wish to try the old scottish and irish celtic way of inviting those who have passed in it's not a morbid thing you're saying welcome into my house because i love you and i want to spend some time with you yeah it's your loved and ones the, the the pictures yeah. that you're putting around that is your the pictures of your loved ones and i actually will be celebrating exactly the same way uh and i will have pictures of my mom uh who i recently lost um and i would want to make sure to have a little extra time with her and also my grandmother um so this is definitely and i will say also as an addition um, I know it is also possibly uh, ancient traditions in order to uh, have a candle in the window. So I actually will have a, um, it's it's a very much like a uh, Christmas um, electric candle, but I will let that burn all throughout the night uh, in the window as a type of uh, decoration, if you will, um, in order to help light the way for other spirits. Uh, as they travel uh, through, but I will have the special candle on my dining room table um, with all the goodies and the, uh, a wee dram of of uh, some whiskey in order for them to be able to uh, sustain themselves. Absolutely. 
I get a great piece out of that, actually. I have to tell you. Oh, super. That's fantastic. Well, Kara. I really appreciate you interviewing me for your, for your podcast because it's such a good podcast. So oh, I appreciate it. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. And, and I cannot, again, thank you enough. I will sing your praises from here to the rooftop uh, for, for the rest of my life that you have just been so wonderful and so kind and working uh, not once, not twice, but thrice times now with me to get this done. Um, and I just can't thank you for your kindness and uh, your flexibility. And again, it's now almost one twenty in the um, in the night, so I will let you go. Uh, and I cannot thank you enough for uh, your time and uh, all your your attention, especially after being uh, just coming out of a show. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. You have to have a have a wonderful Halloween, everybody. Indeed, happy Samhain, happy Halloween, everyone. Take care. Until next time, bye-bye.